Hi, we're Katie, Jessica, and Shannon, and this is Boy Problems Podcast, a community focused on supporting families navigating substance use disorder. We hope sharing our stories, introducing you to experts, and answering all the questions you have no one else to ask will help you better navigate your story. Through our partners' recoveries, we found each other and formed our own squad, one we know is so valuable to how we manage this disease in our relationships. So we started bringing a microphone to our hangouts to extend our conversations to others just like us. When you're here, you're not alone. If you're listening, you probably know we met at a family support group and our bonds have grown stronger through sharing our stories and supporting each other. When we think about the thing that's helped us most, it's that. So we'd like to extend that community to you. If you're feeling like no one understands what you're dealing with, or you're looking for a community of like-minded individuals, consider joining us for our virtual support group. For details, visit recoveringto.com. We know what you're going through and we're here to help. We're Recovering Too. Hello and welcome to Boy Problems Podcast. We are back with a special guest today. Um, I'm excited to introduce you to Rachel Kaplan. She is a California-based licensed psychotherapist um, in practice for 16 years. After the suicide of her first love at age 14, she spent more than 25 years scouring the world's healing technologies through both Eastern spiritual practices and Western psychological methodologies. She found the single most necessary ingredient for her healing, emotional resilience and self-love is no more complicated than taking a poop. Uh, Rachel (laughs) is now a psychoeducator or emotional potty trainer, spreading the feelings movement (laughs) by teaching people how to work with their emotions effectively for the purpose of genuine healing. She focuses on short form content on Instagram, TikTok, and has her own podcast, The Healing Feeling Shit Show, and leads people through coursework and individual therapy. Rachel, we are glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I know what it's like to have a podcast and how it's your precious baby. And so it's an (laughs) honor to be welcomed into something that I know how deeply you must care for. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. So could you tell us a little bit more? We just read like your bio, um, but could you tell us maybe in your own words, what, what all of that means, what you're focusing on? How are you an emotional potty trainer? <laughs> well, so I've been a, a therapist, as I said, for 16 years and probably 10 of those years were I think I was always really good at being a therapist. By 18, I had started healing from this horrific tragedy that happened to me at 14 and knew I wanted to be a companion on the journey of healing. Um, But I think it was not until I was 37, which is almost six years ago, that I felt like I actually got to a place in myself where I wasn't just medicating and compensating for a deep sense of shame and worthlessness. And which didn't mean I wasn't good at therapy during that time, but my sense of the therapeutic industry and what most people I know, peers and clients and friends and family members, most of the humans I see, it seems like people get to a place where they're able to hobble around with their 
emotional injuries pretty well, but that there's, they're still kind of compensating that there's still this pain. And so for me, when I realized, oh my God, I finally love myself. There's no resistance in me to me. It was so shocking to me truly, you know, to uncover the extent to which I had wellness, um, that there was this real drive to pay it forward, to help. And, um, and what I found, so the reason I'm focusing so intensely on, you know, what I call emotional potty training is that I think what's missing in the field and even by therapists is a true understanding of the energetics of emotion and the need for emotion to move through the body, the need for the emotional system to be revamped or, you know, um, brought into balance to serve its purpose. Like, and we have all these systems in our bodies, like we sweat, we, um, you know, we poop, we pee, you know, there's sexual systems. Like there's all kinds of things that happen at a bodily level that help us maintain homeostasis. And my sense is that the emotional system is not different. And what we're dealing with at this time, we have people who just simply don't know how to feel. And so now we're at this cutting edge moment where people are like, cool, let's have our feelings. But after so long of trying to not feel, and there's so many people that benefit from us not feeling, that even when someone is on board to turn toward the terrifying unknown of their emotions, they often lack skills. And so I see my role really very much as like a very in the, you know, gritty, grounded, let's talk mechanics, let's talk skills, let's actually prepare you to do this skillfully in a way where you can also love yourself and have well-being and what I think is the most important thing to have at this point in our times, which is emotional resilience. Um, and when people are strong enough to have emotional resilience, there's a lot of happy, there's a lot of good feelings, but they can handle all their feelings. And I think that's what's really helpful. And hopefully that answered your question. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. And so can you tell me, so why as a therapist, you know, you work one-on-one -on -one with people. So can you tell us why you wanted to start the podcast and kind of the healing feeling shit show? Like, why did you want to get that out into the world? Great. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, there's only so many, you know, the other day I was like, God, I wish there were two of me so we could both chill a little bit. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's only so many hours in a day and one-on-one -on -one therapy is very deep and, um, and very uh, energetically demanding. Like a therapist's job, most therapists consider full-time to be 20 hours a week because the level of presence that's required is profound, right? Um, and so I think, I think at some level there was some like a practical sense to it, but it was just this very deep, like organic desire to do more. And, you know, I feel like after spending 37 years growing into being willing to be the weirdo that I am, um, I just, you know, it's like now I, I mean, and I never really had an off switch or that feature where you could fake it very well. That's part of why it's been so awkward for me. And I thought I would, I tried to fake it, but it's like, there's like, I just, this one, there's no faking it. And so I just feel like this is the best use of my life. And what's really profound now, so when, you know, and, I, and I'll say one thing, and I, I, I talk kind of cryptically about this person because he's pretty private, but I had a mentor that really was the main influence on a lot of what I'm teaching. You know, this is on top of a long time of studying all kinds of things, yoga, meditation, therapy, 
practicing therapy, but like this person really came in and revolutionized my understanding and, and also worked with me on my own healing. And he said something to me at some point, he said, you know, the, the level of healing you're receiving is it's a debt. And the only way to pay back the debt is to fully claim your life and to pay it forward. And at that point I was like, okay, you know, I didn't totally get it. And then in the year or so after I reached this place where I realized I really genuinely love myself, there was just this incredibly organic desire to be more widespread. And this is someone, he's someone who lives in a mud hut <laughs> and like, was like, if you understood the internet, you wouldn't put anything on the internet. And I was like, well, I'm one of them. I'm addicted to the <laughs> internet too. And I think I can be really helpful. So I think like, you know, overall, what's amazing is I'm incredibly articulate. I'm weird. I'm crass. I think I'm funny. People think I'm funny. And I just have a way to download and teach this stuff that's really heavy, complex, and make it um, really relatable. And what's amazing for me now in my one-on-one -on -one work is I now have this whole, you know, library of resources that I am assigning for my clients between sessions so that I'm not using one-on-one -on -one work for psychoeducation. Um, and then let's look at the cost of therapy. It's expensive AF, right? By the way, do we swear on this show? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, I didn't have to use the F word for that one, but just good to know, especially <laughs> even if I just say the name of my podcast, which you've already done and it's swearing. So good to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it feels really amazing to me to be able to create what I feel like you know, both through the first season of my podcast, but also now through some of the um, DIY coursework or through all of the videos on social media, I really truly feel like the, the gems that I understand are going into going into these and someone would be able to use that first season of the podcast to truly transform their lives and heal themselves and use some of these really affordable resources. And I think our world is in just such great need. And I don't wanna just help people who have so much money they can afford to pay you know, hundreds of dollars per session and I need to compensate myself. I'm literally working around the clock, which is why I need a second one of me. And so it's like, there's just a balance. And I found, I just think this is like the, the karma of my life. I think I'm supposed to be like out there being weird and helping people learn how to have emotional poops. And it's fun. It's really fun. <laughs> I love awesome. that. Um, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, I, it's just like really cool to hear you talk about kind of the place that you got to, like, just feeling very comfortable with yourself. I relate a lot to just being like a weirdo and like not comfortable with it yet. So I'm really interested if you would be willing to share like what your journey was and just kind of having a trauma and then sort of you said you were healed within about four years, I guess. It, it, but like what that journey was for you, what that learning was for you and how you kind of navigated that. Yeah. I mean, I was not healed within four years. I was a, a deluded 18 year old. I think my healing okay. started at, at, at like at that point, you Fair. know, and like the first layer of healing, I think came from being brought back to the thing I was most terrified of. It was like letting myself fall for someone again. And then he went to college. He's actually my dear friend. I talked to him today. He's still like one of my besties, but he went off to college and was like, let's stay together. And I was like, no way. <laughs> he's like, come on, we're soulmates. I was like, no. And then finally I agree. And then he's like, bye. <laughs> like he just like, and so it was the thing I was doing everything I could to not have that pain again of being abandoned. And by the way, you know, the, the suicide story, um, the, you know, it wasn't a story, but what I lived through was really, I think all suicide is horrific. And, um, this was a particularly horrific 
story where I was really roped in. And, you know, the suicide note was just this cryptic message to make sure I don't commit suicide. Also, because I said that I was going to in an effort to stop him. So I don't know that anyone who knows anyone who's made that choice doesn't feel messed up by it. But it was, um, I think we all have vulnerability. We all have the early stuff from our being raised by humans, flawed, injured humans. Mm Um, and that most of the shame and worthlessness that I see at the core of every human I meet mostly is starts much younger, but then there are just layers of, of experience and wounding that happen in our world. And this one, I mean, I was, I barely liked myself at all. I was like in a phase of barely eating. So I was trying to be thin, you know, it was like, like, there was so much fragility in my system. And then this trauma was like a 10,000 pound weight. So, you know, I would say that my healing started and my, my return from the confines of my brain started when I was in my teens. Um, and it was a slow journey. I mean, and I think one of the things that my mentor helped me understand is, and this would probably speak to people at home who have dealt with significant trauma. Some traumas are so insidious that they really take a lifetime to heal. And that we, and, and, and whether it needs to be a lifetime or whether we just need the right skills. Like what he said is like, you know, it's very easy to feel like you've um, come through something, but really you're plateaued and that it's like, it's still impacting you below the surface. And it took actually getting married for me to someone who it with a little bit of retrospect um, was the exact archetype of not only my dead boyfriend, but my daddy um, <laughs> and people I am very adamantly trying to not date <laughs> varying degrees of success, but more success than ever. Um, and it was in the construct of that marriage that was really not viable where I did the deepest work with this person. And And as far as like, you know, what you're ultimately asking me is like, how'd I do it, right? How do we actually break through? And, you know, this comes down to like the, what I'm trying to distill is like, I find that there are two, there's two sides of this that are absolutely necessary of healing to make it effective. And I'm not saying, I know a lot of, you know, people are going to say, is this true for everyone? This doesn't mean that that will be the only two things for any one person, but I do feel pretty strongly that these things need to be in place for everyone. So the two, the two sides, the two wings of the bird, as I see it, is that one aspect is it's really about finding and like locating. And this is where our thinking is helpful. I am not a big fan of thinking when it comes to healing, which you may know if you've been watching my videos, but like, it's where a little bit of perspective, insight, thinking back, memories, reflecting on your parents, your siblings. But basically we have to identify and locate the parts of us that felt like they were made wrong when we were young. Like, what were we afraid would be uncovered by the kids at school? What were, what were we, what did we learn experientially from our parents, um, made them, made their love seem more distant, made them mad. Like, those are the things that all of us, before we were even capable of thought, which is why I'm not that interested in it, like started to try to reconfigure ourselves to hide. So there's this like very young, very immediate kind of repression that happens with these certain aspects of almost everyone, whether it was like how you present your sensitivity, your um, intensity, your sexuality. I mean, could be so many things. Right. And then, of course, like I said, our society layers onto it. So one of the parts is you have to find those parts that are basically tucked and locked in your emotional basement closet. And they do not trust us because we have been keeping them in the closet. 
Like by the time you're <laughs> listening to podcasts, it is not your parents' fault anymore. You have left them in the closet. You are going to parties and working meetings and trying to act like you don't have it down there. So <laughs> what, what we got to do with that is we have to slowly approach the closet, unlock the door, back away and start very, from the very beginning. Hey, I want to know you. I'm Rachel. I've been a dick. I'm so sorry. Uh, I know you don't trust me, but I want to build a relationship. We essentially have to take them from the scapegoat that we are trying to keep away at all costs and slowly pull them onto our lap, which is going to be a slow process. And, and this sounds very metaphorical. It is, but what that means on the ground is make these parts, parts that we check on throughout the day. What do they want to eat? Who do they actually like? When do they need to rest? You know, what do they need from us? Do they, do they need us to be home more and more coddling? Do they need more contact? You know, it's like, we need to figure out how do we establish a connection strong enough to these little parts where they can start to feel loved? Because until we pay attention to them, they're always going to feel like they're worthless sacks of poop. Okay. Now, once we have a strong enough connection to them where we might possibly where they might come online, like, so here I'm talking about two people, right? Well, the, the hidden secret that's not hidden is it's all us, right? So like, and, and I talk about it intentionally as another part, because for most people that will create an opening to start a relationship and it will model what does compassion and kindness look like? Because most of us know what it's like to be sweet to a dog or a little baby or our favorite person. We often don't know what it feels like and looks like to be sweet to ourselves. So in the beginning, that kind of separation is useful. But as we start to bring these parts online, even like looking at their picture, which I suggest, I suggest making it your home screen. That's awkward, but fun, um, you know, and like to choose the most awkward age. But um, so you have to look at it and be like, oh, well, actually, they're cute, you know, whatever. But so once we start to bring that part back online, what happens is they are filled with emotional pain from having spent our entire lives feeling like the problem. And so we are trying to create a strong enough connection where that pain can be experienced. And then the work is really about learning the mechanics of how do you move the pain? How do you work with rage? How do you work with terror? How do you ultimately, you know, grief and ultimately shame? And like, really it, it does come down to shame. Like this sense of there's something wrong with me. I'm not enough. I'm not okay as I am. And as we learn to do that, and that's where it's like, you know, getting into, you know, I think what, what ultimately we're going to get to today, which is like, what are the energetics of emotions? What, what does that look like? And, you know, it's different depending on the feeling um, and people have to kind of explore it. It's not that different from like, you go to the gym or you go to do the thing, you go set up a thing and you do it and then you recover from it. It's kind of like that. Ideally, we get to a place where you're doing proactive emotional release work which is helping this part of you let go of, you know, a lifelong amount of backlog of unprocessed pain. And then you start to get really good at having your pain when you need to have your pain. Eventually, you don't need to just be doing it so proactively. And then it's just, you know, you do it when you need to do it. And what happens in that process is people, you know, we start to feel because we're finally including the part of us that felt unlovable and we're caring. And that's a really important word, caring for that part of us. The part of us that felt unlovable suddenly is getting love, which makes us feel lovable and it's us and we've integrated it. And so we don't feel like we're fragmented. So now we're like a whole lovable person who's even quirks and 
weird things. And that's when I think we get to start being like, oh, wow, that actually is really special. Like this is, you know, I love talking, how useful. I'm gonna use my words to help people or like, I can't stand still. I like to noodle dance and gosh, that's fun. You know, it's like where we can come into the honoring of what makes us unique because we're no longer trying to fit in as a, as a means of covering something up. And I do think just quick shout out, we all are needed in our unique, sensitive, weird, unparalleled gifts more than ever right now. And so this to me, like leading this deeply personal work and teaching people how to do this, and hopefully with more and more power and more and more money, mean not me, but the people that are doing the work. I mean, I'll take also some, <laughs> but more like the more that people do this, the more that I think this like very innate, empathic, you know, desire to be helpful and kind and ability to be soft with someone else's pain because we're not avoiding our own happens. And so I really truly do believe that this is part of the healing of our planet and one of the most important parts. And the part that I'm really excited about doing is, you know, if we can get the people in, in the decision-making capacities to feel more whole and feel more satiated with who they are, things will shift. And so, and I think that everyone else's unique magic will come forth because we won't just be compensating and trying desperately to avoid ourselves. You, um, at the beginning of that, you referenced how you think like thinking too much. You don't like the thinking too much when it comes to feelings. And I like chuckled, um, because I admit all the time that I'm an overthinker. And I think that <laughs> here I am saying, I think, mm -hmm. uh, which I also thought about when you were talking about feelings, I'm not always very good at identifying how I feel because I'm like thinking, well, I think, and I'm like, well, that's right. not feeling. Um, so my question that I'm getting to is for those of us who are like overthinkers, what's kind of the first step to try and move past the like overthinking and really like feel things? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, everyone is, or at least Westerners are, um, and I don't know about all Westerners, because then what does that even mean? Western, where, where is our perspective? All that, yes. But um, it's really the best strategy we've all come up with to not having pain. You know, you don't even need to buy a six pack. You can just think it through. And, and I can't tell you how many times I say, how do you feel about something? And someone says, well, I think. And so I just want to normalize. We're all in that mm -hmm. boat. And thinking's fun. Talking's fun. You know, it's it's not bad altogether, but you know, one sentence I'll try to make it not a run on about why it's not that useful is that thinking is indefinite. We can always have a different perspective. It's like a labyrinth. And emotions are more like the things that happen in the body where people can be afraid once they feel they'll never stop feeling. And I do think that's one of everyone's deepest fears. It's, it's the opposite of what I find. Mostly people are ha have trouble sustaining emotion even for a few moments or minutes, unless they're in an acute crisis. Um, but you know, everything in the body is a lot more finite, right? Like you're hungry or you're not, or you're kind of hungry. You might be eating even if you're not hungry, but there's like a simplicity to what happens in the body. It kind of emerges, it rises, it falls. Um, we, we sleep, but we wake up, you know, it's like everything's a little bit more, um, yeah, it's, it's precise in a way it's, you know, in its organicness. And so for people who 
I mean, the first thing I think is a thought. It's like getting the idea that maybe your really smart ideas and your insight and your perspective and the way you saw your mommy and the way it makes so much sense that you go for these types of people based on this type of thing, maybe that's actually not as valuable as you think. And it's fun. And sure, keep talking to your friends about it over coffee dates, like great. But like, it's just understanding, hearing, opening up, getting curious about maybe there's a different way. And, you know, I've had one of the first videos that kind of got a lot of traction for me on TikTok was about the, you know, I said, stop asking why. When, when a feeling starts to come up, the, the best way to expedite your healing, your healing is to don't not ask the question why, because the first thing it does, so this is a tip. I don't know if it's the first one, but I'll give you a couple more. Um, the first thing it does is it tells you, like, think about when you say why to someone. If, if I was like, well, guys, I got to go get off this call. I'm going to eat dinner. Would you guys ask me why? <laughs> no, because you like, yeah, that's a very normal thing. You're in California, you're going to eat dinner. You know, it's dinner time. Or I got to go to work. No one says why. But when someone's like, I'm sad, why? So there's this subtle shooting that you should not be what you are. Mm -hmm. And so it's a subtle way of saying that there's something wrong with this. And then it brings us up into our head. So one of the first things to track that can help you stop overthinking is not asking why. Now, this doesn't mean like for me, when I notice some, suddenly I feel uncomfortable, something shifted in my baseline and I'm having a weird feeling. Sometimes I will be like, where did that start? What? Oh yeah, that email or something in that email that brought out this feeling. Because I, I track myself pretty closely so I can tell when something shifted for me. So I'm not saying that you don't ever want to know the roots of something. And I'm not saying that you don't want to ever reflect on who you are or the sources of your choices and your patterns. That's all very useful. But in the act of trying to allow an emotion to move through your body, and if you take off the letter E, what's left is motion, and it literally means to move, you know, that's a sensation thing. I define emotions, not that precisely, because I like talking kind of in weird, funny cliches, but I call it, you know, clusters of sensations rolling in squads. Like it's like this like thing that comes together and it moves through us. It's in, it's below your chin. Sometimes you'll have sensation in the face connected to emotion. But so another really useful tool. So if you notice suddenly you're having, a, you're uncomfortable. That's what most of us will notice at first. You're uncomfortable. You're in a meeting, you're having a conversation with a partner, your kid, your sister, whatever. Suddenly you're like, ah, okay. And if you, if you immediately go to why, you can start tracking that, make that a signal word. The, the word to replace it with is how. How am I feeling? How do I, instead of like, why am I mad? Huh, how do I feel mad right now? That will bring you back into observing the phenomenological experience you're having. I feel it in my chest. I'm really hot. I notice I want to yell at this person, you know? Um, and, and you can observe everything like that. You could observe what your thoughts are doing. You, you know, you're, you want to observe, you want to, you know, collect information. And another really helpful word is you want to be curious. What's happening? Something shifted mm -hmm. for you. What's happening? And the, the basic energetic that will help us do this is curiosity and turning toward. Most of us, you know, thinking is the most useful way or the most available way. You don't need, your drug dealer doesn't need to be available. Netflix doesn't need to be close by. You can just think your way out of something, right? Um, being flippant about the drug dealer. Sorry if that's offensive to anyone. 
I think actually we talk about recovery here. Yes. No, it's fine. All right, everyone. Everyone who's listening to this, let's all get curious about what's happening in your body, given that I'm talking about drug dealers. Um, so, so you, you know, it's, it's always available. So it's basically that desire to try to figure it out is a desire to turn away from what's actually happening. And so you come back to, oh, wait, on that podcast or oh, wait, my therapist said, or oh, wait, I want to turn toward. And so what, what can be helpful in turning toward is hands on your chest, hands on your belly, touch below your neck, take a deep, slow breath and just gather information. Do you feel like, what's the tone? Is it a shaky feeling? Do you suddenly feel like kind of I'm scared and shaky and un, un, imbalanced? Do you feel hot and explosive? Do you feel heavy and sad? Like you just heard that your ex is in love, you know? Is there, you just start to study. And there's a lot that I'm teaching about what are the different, you know, shapes of the feelings. Like anger explodes, sadness implodes, sadness pools. Fear does a little bit of both. And shame does a little bit of both, or we use both those energetics to, to deal with shame. But so, you know, depending on what the, it's like sometimes you might not know, like you said, I don't know what I'm feeling, but you can feel, oh, it's a heaviness or like, oh, it's a freneticness, you know? And then if you have space, if you're not in the middle of a podcast interview, you might be able to be like, all right, oh, I got I really got to shake this out. And you stand up and you shake at your desk or you shake in the living room for a minute and you might like feel differently. Or you might wrap yourself in a blanket and pet yourself and try to welcome in the, whatever sadness is in there. And maybe you cry, you know, that would be amazing for most people that won't be that quick, but eventually what you're, that's where we're going, right? Is you, you support the feeling that's actually already happening. And so that it can move. Now, there are lots of moments where that's not appropriate, where you need to be like, Oh, you're attacking yourself right now, but you're fine. And of course you're doing that. Cause that's your jam. You love that. It happens. It's okay. We're going to cry after work. You know, it's like, that's okay too. Just like if we suddenly have the cramping sensation signal from our bodies, we have to poop. We don't poop wherever we are. You know, you're not going to poop at your office desk. You're going to get yourself to the appropriate place to do that. Feelings are not different. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I think something, so I've been, um, watching you for quite some time now. And I've, I've always enjoyed your videos and your quirkiness and uh, what I found. So a couple of things that I found in your videos is the, the movement. Uh, I felt a lot of anger with my husband's addiction. It was a secret uh, heroin addiction. And there was a lot of anger once I found out and uh, a lot of shame and things like that. But in a lot of your videos, something that makes me uncomfortable to watch is when you say, you know, sit in a corner and then cry. Like a lot of things, a lot of times you say cry and that is so uncomfortable for me. So I, I just really love your honesty and the, and the different tips that you've given in the, in the short amount of time, because some people are very um, adverse to counseling and help and, and just think bad things about mental health. Um, so I, I really appreciate some of the things that you have shared. Um, I think I found you, Jessica and I were kind of going through like a friend breakup. And I saw that video immediately. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I love this woman. A hundred percent breakup should be a uh, friend. Breakup should be a thing. It was, it was interesting. Um, no, I'm not going. um okay. So to, to bring it back, I, something else that you, uh, Wait, I just want one- to respond to you about one thing, Katie, if that's yeah, please, okay. Please. I, I also have really mixed feelings about mental health in some way. I think there's a lot of phoning it in therapy and, you know, um, and I just want to say, I think a lot of people also struggle 
feeling or crying. And, and one thing to know is that you're, there's usually either our systems are usually better at firing up or shutting down under pressure. Like we, we will usually gravitate toward one. And so one thing to look at is what do you do more of? Are you sped up? Are you busy? Are you running around? Are you quicker to anger like you are? Um, and usually for us to have homeostasis and balance and kind of get to that grounded center point where we can hold our own and not go into pattern as much, we have to practice the other one. But you can use the one you're good at as a means of getting in. You know, it's like you 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 can't really force it. One thing just to know if you're ever trying to have a feeling or a crying and you can't, there's probably a feeling of being a failure or like, like I can't do it. And if you if you if you connect to that and see what's happening in your body when that's happening, that's a feeling, you know. And you can like ride it in. When we're critical of ourselves or we think we should be able to do something we're not able to do, there is an emotion if we can connect to that. Okay, thank yeah. you. What is your question? No, that's so interesting. <laughs> I I really appreciate that. <laughs> Um, it's something I, vulnerability is my 2023 goal. That is like, that's my goal. Um, okay. So something that you talk about was, uh, future tripping. And I think for a lot of people, uh, especially in our like recovery world, like will my husband relapse and what's going to happen in six days. And you had such a beautiful explanation. Could you kind of go into that for us a bit? Sure. Yeah. Um, when we are plotting out how to survive our problems of the future, we are imagining them. We're essentially making them up. And we use a lot of our really amazing past to do that and our intellect. And so they might be very good guesses of things that could happen, but they're not happening yet. And people will spend a lot of time trying to solve them or troubleshoot them. And there's a lot we don't know. Like we don't know how we'll be when we get to that threshold. I mean, six days out, maybe we're like, all right. I might know this person, but oftentimes, like for me, I, I left the marriage that I talked about being kind of like the cauldron of healing for me when I early in my process of healing, when I imagined leaving that marriage, I imagined terrible shame and like, you know, I mean, finally at the end, when I finally left it, I had to say, okay, what's the worst case scenario about, you know, this decision. And I was like, well, I might be homeless in the gutter alone for the apocalypse, you know? And we didn't even <laughs> share money. Like he, he wasn't even supporting me. Okay. So in any way, actually, but I was like, I still had to like, look at that. But, but my point is in the early years, when I was really looking at this might not be viable and I pictured leaving, it was a whole different situation than when I was the woman strong enough to leave. Mm-hmm. And if I had spent, and you know, all of that energy, trying to figure out what I was, what was I going to do when all my friends abandoned me, right? Because that's what we'll do. We'll picture mm-hmm. the worst case scenario and really flesh, flesh it out. Um, you know, that would have been a waste of energy. What's not a waste of energy is realizing I'm terrified right now. Oh my God, mm-hmm. I am so scared of this thing I think might happen. But my fear is in the moment, what if I try to support myself with it? What if I pull my attention back to this moment where I'm scared and I explore okay, I'm scared. I'm allowed to be scared. Of course I'm scared. I'm a human. I get to be scared. I'm allowed to, I give myself permission. And then I might feel, okay, am I like, I want to hide in the bed and feel paralyzed and helpless scared. And can I do that right now? Can I go get in my bed? Can I get in the bathtub? Can I pet my head and like try to connect to the, Oh honey, this is so scary. And like maybe squeeze out a tear. Or am I more like, oh my God, I got to freak out and I want to go running and I want to twitch. And, 
you know, and, and do I need to go that? And then you just deal with, you try to move the energy, support the energy, allow the energy. And then after, and this is true of all the feelings, all of the feeling poop parties, all the movement parties, after you've like moved it as much as you can, or maybe you ran out of your time for that session, but at the end, not during, not during, and we can talk about that more because that's one of the biggest ways people mess up this process. Um, sorry that it is true that you can mess this up. I, I wish it wasn't, <laughs> but it is true. Um, people people want to fight with themselves while it's happening. They want to be like, well, is it, you know, I feel really scared that I'm going to be homeless. And in the moment of trying to feel that, I wouldn't want to be like debating with myself, oh, but you won't be homeless. Like if you're going to allow a feeling to come, you want to be willing to, for that short duration of emo emoting, you want to be like, yeah, oh, this is so hard. And you let it out. That's how the feeling comes out is it, it gets allowed to be there. You know, that's one of the things that goes wrong with parenting is parents with all the love in the world are like, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing. Don't be afraid. Instead of like, yeah, it's scary. And like, you're allowed to be scared and I'm here and it looks like you're safe, you know, like, and it's hard to do because you want to soothe the kid. But so anyway, so at the very end, after you feel the fear, um, then you would try to do things that, that are like the wrap up process, things I call reality testing, which is like trying to come back to a very grounded and believable thought or affirmation. That's not hyperbolic. It's not blown out. You're not like, there's nothing to be afraid of if I leave my marriage. You know, it might be like, you know what? It might've been like, for me being like, we don't even share money. I probably won't be worse off or like, you know, all the things I could have realized, like, oh, like you're on the ground emotionally, you're in the gutter emotionally once a week, girl, you know, this is going to be better. You're going to be prolific in what you're able to do once you leave this thing. Um, but like, you want to go for that grounded, believable thought, even to the part of you that's having the hard time. Um, and you want to take care of yourself. Okay. Given how scared you are, do you need water? Have you eaten? Do you need a walk? Do you need to call Aunt Barbara? Like, do you, have you seen the sunshine? Like very basic kind of recovery things. So when you're in the future, you are wasting your energy. You want to realize you're afraid, come into the present, see if you have time to move the feeling and recover from the feeling. Well, and I think something else also that you mentioned, which was very smart is you're thinking about how you will react to that future situation as you are today. There's right. also tools and things that you pick up in growth and X, Y, Z. Um, I don't know the, the period before you left your husband, but you were probably a different person when Absolutely. you divorce than in your fear of the future thinking. And I, and I love that, that yeah. you had said that. Yeah. Um, so another thing that you talk about, which is very, um, important to us is boundaries. And I think your videos is like, boundaries are hot. And I was like, I love this woman. Like I just kept like going in all your reels. Um, can you talk about boundaries and as it goes to codependency as well? Oh my God. Cause we're, we're all codependent. We've been to Coda. Like nice. we, we, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, actually I was in a shared acupuncture room with someone and I was listening to what the other woman was saying to the doctor and just like, Oh, I want to chime in and tell her about how she's, she's part of this pattern. But anyway, <laughs> she's being codependent. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the biggest offering I have there that's unique because you know, there's all kinds of information about everything from everyone. I think the thing that I really want to share is that when we feel like very proud of ourselves for how loving we are and how much we're able to care for everyone in the room and how much we know what everyone else is feeling and thinking, that's part of what can keep it going. 
is feeling like, oh, this is my gift. And I think, and it comes, it makes sense because when you're little, if there wasn't safety in the home, um, if, and, or if a parent needed you to parent them, you were rewarded profoundly with love and attention or just safety and a sense of predictability. And so people who had that upbringing, and it might be later in life with an addict, it might be just, you know, we get rewarded for that job, right? Um, and, but I think part of what keeps people in that suffering is thinking that it's for the other person. And so the big aha moment can be like, um, you're just trying to take care of yourself. Like, um, and, and that actually, and it's a really ineffective way to take care of ourselves because when people start giving out, looking for who can they save to feel invited or welcomed or liked, or, you know, who, who can they give all their goodies to what you end up with are relationships with parasites because the people who are going to be drawn to someone who is annihilating their own needs or sacrificing their own needs in the name of the other are people who actually don't want to have a reciprocal relationship. They're not healthy people, which means they'll never give back. They're actually, that's not what they're signing up for. They're signing up for a deal where you're going to do all the work and they're going to get what they can. So then you're like when, and that's part of what's hard about um, codependent, martyr, overgiving, overcompensating, you know, overachieving relational folks is that there is actually fallout in your life as you start to change because the, you know, likely the, the relational agreements you unconsciously set up are, are, you know, it's very rare. I think that, I mean, sometimes it can happen, but I think that oftentimes it, the person is never going to give back. And the good news is they're never going to give back. So you don't need to keep trying. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, the insight of this isn't, this isn't for them, it's for me is helpful. It's a good starting place. And then, you know, really celebrating how well you know how to caretake and then being like, well, what if I were, instead of trying to make all these people like me and then maybe I'll get something back. What if I were to just turn toward the part of me that doesn't feel likable and give to her or him or them, you know, like give directly to the source, take out the middle person because it's a broken chain. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Codependency is such mm-hmm. a hard uh, thing to understand just in general for people who, who don't know what it is. So I appreciate all that. Yeah. And I do think for me, I define it as when you're taking care of someone else instead of yourself or at the sacrifice of yourself, I think the thing that's not always obvious is that it's actually still self-driven. We're just like, you know, even, I mean, I don't know, didn't they say Mother Teresa was a bitch? Like, we're, we're like, we're organisms at the end of the day. Like, I actually don't trust anyone who's going to claim to have no self-interest. It's not healthy. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually don't really run that pattern. I, oh, sometimes a tiny bit, but like, but I have a few people in my family who are like super good at it. And so it's always like um, intense for me to see you know, but I think like, I feel much safer with folks and this is just me. I'm not saying this is better. Um, but when I can feel someone's self-interest alongside their love and generosity, if I, you know, I think what's so hot about boundaries is if you let everyone in the room know, or in the car, you're on a road trip. I always tell this with people I'm like suddenly traveling with like, Hey, if you have any needs around volume or anything, please just tell me like, please take care of you. Cause as soon as I know you're on you, I'm going to relax and feel like I can take care of me. 
And so by us asserting, hey, I'm really good at asking for what I need, which maybe you're not yet, but like once you become better at it, it's actually this liberating force for everyone around you because they can know that you've, you're, you are on you. And ideally, you know, I, in, in human relationships, it's not so clean and we do need help sometimes and we do need to lean on people. And I've had like my book editor was like, it sounds like you hate friendship. <laughs> and my mentor was like, he's like a recluse in a mud hut. So he like really like <laughs> took it all the way. Like I have a video that I'm sure you saw, Katie, that's like, learn to poop alone, you know, like <laughs> don't make your friends hold your hand every time you move your feelings. And there's a lot of pushback. And, and that's valid because we are organisms that are relational and we get, we get to co-regulate together and our wounding comes from relationships. And so it's okay if some of our healing comes from relationships, but it's a slippery edge there. And also I think as a culture, there's like a lot of conditioned codependence and especially people um, brought up to be women were kind of taught inherently to like sacrifice and to be the caretaker of everyone at our own expense. Please God, that's changing. But so I just think, you know, make a strong stance for boundaries and self-care and then and then let let the giving come from love and abundance. Yeah. I think um for me, some of that comes from like the codependency tendencies come out more like when I'm feeling scared and when I'm trying to like control a situation. And I don't know, maybe, you know, what you were saying about recognizing the feelings and being curious and feeling them and moving through them, maybe that then also helps you get away from some of the like codependent patterns that you would normally go to. Absolutely. Like all of this is an inside job. Your fear, you're going to find relief for your fear by, by feeling it and moving it and supporting yourself with it. And, and you can, and, and then once you come through that acute thing that makes you want to manage what everyone else is doing, once you've like reduced it a little bit in your system, you might still be afraid. It's very normal. It's healthy, natural to be afraid. And when it's not our baseline, it serves as an important sign of something we're in danger when it's our baseline. If we're always afraid, it doesn't serve as that. And so if you can move through the acute terror and then kind of recover and get your resource self online, your wise self, then you could say, okay, I'm still a little afraid. There is something I might ask for. I might make a request of this person, but maybe you come to them and you say, hey, I notice I'm really scared. You're going to this thing. You're going to this party and I'm, I notice I'm really afraid. And here's my request versus like, kind of like behind the scenes, trying to manipulate and control everything or like manage the whole thing. Um, because you're so afraid. It's like, you, you like know how afraid you are, take the edge off of that and then bring it to someone if you have something that's relational in a way where you're, you're present, you're grownups online and you can be honest about it. And then they'll do what they're gonna do. You know, We don't yeah. ultimately, we barely have control of ourselves, let alone others. Yeah. Um, you mentioned with the like moving through the emotions process earlier when you were talking you said that you can mess it up and that would be something to come back to. I just wanted to see if we, if you said everything you wanted to about like, this is something you can mess up. Here's how you don't mess it up. Or if there was yeah. more. It's funny. I noticed like I used to give this speech and I still give it a little, but um, I'm like, I, now I'm like, yeah, in the first session, you can't mess it up. Because <laughs> um, I used to like really try to encourage a client, like however you show up is, is okay. And it is. 
And if like months into their therapy, they're not contributing to it, they're, they're not going to get anything from it. You know, I can't do it for them. That's not what the, the tip is that I'll give. Yeah. The tip that I'll give is that it's, and I spoke to it a tiny bit, but just to make it more clear is that one of our deepest desires when we're interfacing with pains as deep as like a feeling of not enoughness or being fundamentally flawed, wrong, bad, or unlovable is we want to um, talk ourselves out of it. And this is one of the ways I think therapy can have kind of be shortcoming is that I think a lot of therapists also want to talk their clients out of their hard feelings and just reframe everything as this positive thing. I think actually like some of what I've seen about like the recovery work that's amazing is there's a real sober and I don't mean that word exactly it's like you really look at yourself and you're looking at here are some of my shortcomings and so there isn't this like sugarcoating everything or only reframing everything and of course everything everyone has ever come up with was the best they could do most likely you know probably yes and like it's not enough and if we're paying a lot of money to get help it's not enough to just be told of course you did BB, you know it's like at a certain point we have to be like, okay, well, this makes sense. And what am I going to do now? So anyway, the desire is to get in a fight with the party that feels bad and try to convince it that it's okay. So someone might be like, they're messing up at a meeting and they're like beating themselves up. And then, it's, you know, and then they're going to just be like, no, but it was fine. You know, or you did better last week. And, and in a moment when you don't have time to have the feeling, do that. But if you have time to have the feeling, you want to be like, okay, I'm going to let that part of me have space. Cause that's how you're not pushing it away subtly. And the truth is, is that our wounded parts feel like they're the truth. They feel like everything that's great about us is a compensation for them. That's really what they believe. And this is like the thing I think that might be the edgiest, not the edgiest. Cause I guess like other things might be edgy, but um, you know, a lot of like meditation, for instance, mindfulness, like they're trying to teach us, how do you notice your thinking or like, how do you notice that you are the observing mind? You're not these clouds that come through your, through your mind. And like, I, I'm, I sound like I'm mocking. This is why it's edgy because <laughs> I don't know how to do it neutrally, but meditation is great. I did a lot of meditation. How fantastic. But if you're trying to heal your wounded parts, it's not enough to be like, there's the pain I'm going to keep over here. What I found is that in order for those parts to actually heal where you're not compensating for them, they need the kind of space to be welcomed in and allowed to feel the feelings as truths while you're releasing the feeling. And then you don't do the reality testing or the trying to establish what was actually real until after. And, you know, one of the posts I um, put up today, yesterday, I think, um, was actually kind of a counter to that because I was in this relationship with someone who was actually a new therapist. And um, this was actually my last relationship. <laughs> Ooh, I'm giving too much detail. But anyway, um, he was like, oh, fine, fine. I do feel like oh, he was like kind of getting so into it that he was like really living into like he was worthless all the time. And, and so I made a video a while back being like, um, yeah, you want to do that for the emotional release work. It's not like once you're trying to heal yourself that you're like just leaning into I'm a worthless piece of shit and announcing it or trying to pass that part off to other people. It's mm -hmm. like you're letting yourself go into it for a very specific reason. And you want to know, you want to keep in mind that part of you all the time feels that way. But it's not like I'm saying because that part feels like it's true, you're going to walk through your life acting like it's true. 
But when you're trying to let the feeling out, you have to like, let yourself actually feel how true it feels. It feels like the truth to you and to that part of you. And that's the part that you're, you've reintegrated and you're letting yourself become release and then recover. And that is, I think like the juiciest nugget is like, if you're unwilling to do that, I don't know that it can heal. Mm. Dang. This is, there's like hours and hours and hours that we could go on, but you know, we only have a limited amount. The good news is, is you have so much content in other places that people can find and go through on their own time. Like, you know, Katie and I've both been watching your, your videos and picking up on the little nuggets here and there. Could you just remind us where people can find you? We'll include it in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, so the place right now where I am suddenly more focused because uh, I had a video go viral about six weeks. So suddenly what's great about that is that's probably how you found me, honestly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> unless you were around more than six weeks ago, have you been around for more than six weeks? I think, I think I was. Oh, really? You're an old timer. That's awesome. <laughs> You're like pre the wave. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the, where that's happening and, and where, you know, is, is on Instagram and it's under the name of my podcast, which is healing, feeling shit show. Um, and I also have a TikTok account. That's the feelings movement. And if you go to the feelings slash contact, that is a really good place to start. But if in all those social media sites, if you click on, there's a direct me page that kind of lists all the things that I'm offering. Um, I do have a really affordable DIY course that I think gives the foundational approach. Tomorrow I'm starting a guided course for six weeks. I will probably do that quarterly where we kind of build on the DIY structure with lives. Um, and, you know, season one for people who really want the long, slow, thorough, beautifully scored version of what I'm offering, um, the, you know, the first iteration of all of this was me doing like nine months of work and writing and coming out with really what wasn't a podcast, what was like a transformational course. And season one will guide you through the whole process at no cost to you. Um, I do think over the years, I've gotten more um, succinct and had a lot of fun just and that's what's great about these short form um, nuggets is like, it really gives me a creative opportunity to boil it down. Um, so they're all awesome. And, you know, I do one-on-one -on -one work with people. I have um, a way to apply for that now because I'm trying to be better at vetting the right people for me. People who want a really, really gentle coddling therapist is like, not for you. It's not for <laughs> you guys. There are plenty out there for you, but I am not that person. Um, so those are, those are the ways right now. And there's some fun creative, I'm really trying to, part of why I started hustling on online originally was that I have a book version of all this that I really wanted to get. And I started pitching to agents at the beginning of the pandemic, whoops. And, um, not only were they like, you know, we're in New York, we're covered in COVID. Nobody cares about your first time self-help psychology book lady, but really they were ultimately, it was like, you need a following. And what's cool is like that, that was what motivated me to be more active in this way. But I think many of us don't even have the attention span to read books, myself included recently, because I'm doing so much <laughs> making stuff that, so I think actually there's tremendous value in creating these shorter, really accessible, lots of varieties, bites of wisdom as a way to, um, to get in the door with people. And um, I'm having a lot of fun making it. So yeah. it's no longer a means to an end, although I do also want to get the book out. That would be cool. 
You also have to yeah. vet the people because like you said earlier, there's not two of you. I know. So you got to I know. time and you uh, are doing a lot of things. So I'm doing so much and you should see what my acupuncture is. He's like, stop. Plus I also <laughs> got to like concerts, you know, and like socialize. Yeah, and I know you're noodle dancing. I, I do a little <laughs> noodle dancing myself, actually. Shall we? Is that how you your back out, Shannon? <laughs> yeah, actually, my back is messed up right now, but it's That's not. chiropractic. That's where guy weekly chiropractic. <laughs> yeah. So, oh man. Well, thanks for making the time for us. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. This is yeah. like my favorite thing to do. Awesome. And you guys are great. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and thanks awesome. to all of you Thank for you. Uh, listening in again and keep coming back. Thanks for spending time with us. We hope this story has helped you better navigate yours. Don't forget to subscribe so we can meet you here next time. If you enjoyed this episode, spread the love by rating or reviewing. Need more support? Join our online community by visiting us at boyproblemspod.com. Whatever you do, keep coming back. We're not licensed professionals. We're here to share our lived experience. So take what resonates and leave what doesn't.